Hello and welcome to episode number 86. We have a contest going on right now. The winners of the contest, of which there will be three, will receive Matt Frad's brand new The Porn Myth, given to us by Ignatius Press, through Matt, of course, because he's awesome. This is a non-religious response to pro-porn arguments and has been endorsed by neuroscientists, former porn stars, and yes, atheists. Also, 100% of the royalties will go to a group in San Diego who helps support sexually trafficked women. See more at thepornmyth.com. This is huge, people. So how do you get this book? Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash catchingfoxespodcast. You can write a review for us on iTunes, which you have to go into the iTunes app, find our podcast, and do that. Or you can pledge $2 or more on Patreon for your chance to win. We're going to do our drawings on May 1st, so everything has to be done before May 1st. Okay, so me and Luke are going to sit down, get everything down. I already have the first 20 people that have done it on Facebook and, and iTunes and Patreon. So I need you to go on right now, follow us on Facebook, review us on iTunes, pledge $2 or more on Patreon for your chance to win. No purchase necessary except for that pledge on Patreon. Oh, damn, are we gambling? So I'm... I'm, I'm... Semi-invoking the Lucan privilege of withholding my last name. <laughs> now, this is for very different reasons than Luke, right? <laughs> I, I don't have like uh, an economic stake in this, where you know whatever. Um, but the three three things that are, are, are why I, I would say this: one, I, I don't actually mind anyone knowing who I am, and there will be absolutely it will not be hard for someone who listens to this to find out, and I don't care. That's fine. I would say anything that I'm about to say to someone in person. Um, but because of some of the things we're probably going to talk about and where I came from and your listenership, like you guys, there's a, like a pre-existing relationship with who I am. And so a certain set of expectations that might lead you to certain preconceptions about what I think or don't think about certain things. Mm. And I'm, I wouldn't want someone to not hear what I'm saying honestly, because they have a set of preconceptions about it Two, I wouldn't want them to hold it against my, my family or my friends because they've done as best they can with me and it's not their fault. <laughs> and three, um, I think that, and maybe this is where we can start to talk about some stuff encountering someone on the internet. I, I think it, inevitably leads you to calcify them into an abstraction and you don't really grant them the same understanding that you would a friend um, as being a, a human, a human creature who's kind of in the process of becoming. Um, so like, you know, the, 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 the meme of, Oh God, there's something wrong on the internet. I have to fix it. Right. Like we get all this really hollow, righteous indignation and vitriol from the, the fact that, you know, you feel like, Oh, this, this, this isn't a person talking about their experience or where they are in their life or what they're struggling with. They're setting forth a black and white thing and I have to be for it or against it. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think blogs, I mean, I think podcasts are better at getting around this than blogs because you have to, um, you're able to insert so much more of the human, uh, 
uh, experience with the voice and the warmth and the interaction, right? You have to encounter it in that way as opposed to the written word, which is already even more of an abstraction than, than, than the voice. Um, which Gomer, by the way, I'm going to give you shit about for putting that, that preacher's, uh, segment in that podcast last time at two times speed. Cause that is an abhorrence. <laughs> uh, the funniest an absolute thing is, abhorrence. I know the funniest thing about that is uh, number you one, you didn't even notice, did you? N- uh, no, you just put it in. <laughs> well, that's how you listen to it. I, you have, you have turned human beings into robots, into the micro machines, man. All I, need, that is what you're doing. All I need is for people to stop talking <laughs> slow. Like they're a bunch of drunks to speed up their speed. <laughs> when I'm listening to, okay. In my defense, in my defense, let me just say one thing. I was I'm loving this. I was looking for <laughs> one quote in an hour and a half long talk that I couldn't remember if it was in the main body or in the Q&A. And as anyone who's ever been to a Q&A knows, it's the most painful experience ever. So if you speed it up, it goes by twice as fast. Wouldn't you do a live Q&A at double speed just to get through the awkwardness? Well, so, so yeah. So number one, we need better search for audio and video and that's coming the technology is there we will get we you will be able to search audio and video soon so that will help um two really good really good podcasters annotate them with show like in the show notes um uh, so like a lot of the stuff that I listen to, that has helped me a ton to go back and find something because they'll actually put timestamps um of course they have budgets and interns and things probably to help them to do that they don't i'm sure they don't do that themselves catching foxes depends on your support if you're an awesome person and want to prove it then go to patreon.com slash cf you heard me cf and learn how you can donate today and that way you can feel good about yourself sleep through the night wake up and be like hey man i'm awesome I I have I have a thing called chapters, and okay. I, it, it was able to go into maybe two episodes where I broke every single chapter down, time coded, linked, all that stuff. And uh, I just if we record on Wednesday and I have to post on Friday, all I have is Thursday to do it, and I have a full time right. job and all that shenanigans. Right. So I actually excuses, excuses, excuses. Well, speaking of which, hey, this. Uh, Am I getting the privilege of being on for your two-year anniversary show? Uh, yeah. Yes, dude. you yes. are. That's <laughs> awesome. Way to go. That's awesome. Congratulations to me. I was, yeah. I was so pissed. You won. I was so pissed. <laughs> I was hoping for a Catholic celebrity like Matt Smith of MTV's The Real World or, or someone else. I can't think of it. Card- well, Cardinal I'm, Dolan of MTV's <laughs> The Real World. <laughs> I'll do I'll do my best to be as interesting as possible. I mean, there's a lot of places this can go. I am in the in the in the uh phrase of our good friend Brian Kissinger an OSC. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, we can we can go there. I'm we can talk that. <laughs> we can talk about um what it's like to be a Steubenville townie, if if that's of interest to you. A gross, um, gross townie. Yes. <laughs> yeah, we can about. talk about uh the technology stuff that that uh I do, and 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 that is interesting, and I think is interesting to you guys too. Um, there's all kinds of stuff. My Let's, okay. um, my favorite thing is Luke set all this up, and I was like, "We're going to interview Nathaniel Minto. What are we going to talk about? <laughs> Kravaniak's <laughs> wedding? Because that was the last time I saw him. So if you guys want to, I can. People there? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If people literally drink whenever we talk about Franciscan, I feel like 
everyone is just going to be obliterated this episode. So people, please exercise moderation. And maybe <laughs> uh, maybe water down your Bud Lights a little bit more. Now, listen, I've 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 already started. So okay, let's do the low hanging fruit. Okay. Uh, the old school cares uh, charismatic stuff. Yeah. So you, I don't, I don't know if I, if I ever told you this or not, but there was a chance that I could have moved to Steubenville when I was a kid, because mm-hmm. half of our. So for everyone who doesn't know, that stands for OSC, stands for Old School Charismatic. Um, there were these charismatic uh, prayer community groups that were sometimes attached to parishes, sometimes not. And back in the eighties, half of our group actually moved up to Steubenville right and like a whole bunch of them including my dad I think weren't allowed to go what do you mean like they said you can't go <laughs> like, like we're, we're, we're going to move you have to you have to stay here and so I I have like a lot of great memories of being in a charismatic group as a kid i would not trade it in for anything but it does come with just a little bit of craziness yeah so so my experience of this is really uh, really conflicting for me um so like brother dave right dave van vickle um has probably the best version of this and maybe Brian Kissinger, to a certain extent, does too, um, of like what being part of growing up in a charismatic community did did for them and and that experience. I consider myself an incredibly spoiled Catholic uh, because I've had such a wide range of experience within the church, which I don't, which at least anecdotally, amongst the people that I've met, is not the case for most Catholics. You have the experience that you have in whatever your parish happens to be when you're growing up. And then, you know, you, if you're lucky, you, you get into a good, you know, a good small group or something and you read some and and then you're exposed to maybe other ways that other people in other places do it. But like I grew up in a charismatic community that was, um, they were modeled off of not Catholic communities. They were modeled off of Mm -hmm. what, like evangelical, uh, Baptist, uh, communities, right? I think What's the so. story out of Ann Arbor? The, the original, the original Catholic one came out of Ann Arbor anyway, I think. Yeah. But ours in Steubenville got disbanded for being a cult. <laughs> so go on. So it turned real dark real quickly. And you know, for me, I mean, I was, I was a little too young to grasp what was happening when it was disbanded. Um, about how old but, are you? Um, 25, I think I was, I think I was like nine okay. or okay. 10, I think. Um, yeah, something like that. But I mean, I've since gone back and like their court documents there were like, Whoa. Oh yeah. They, the, the, the Bishop brought in, uh, investigators, um, and like a consultant, I think a consultant on, uh, on cult, uh, behavior to, mm-hmm. to, to make a, a, a judgment and, and it got crazy. And again, this is another place where like I can name names and, and maybe we can do that off, off air where I could tell you some stories about like a group of people who t- took it upon themselves during the investigation because they were moved by the Holy spirit to 
go and beat on the bishop's door in the middle of the night and force their way into the foyer to tell them what the spirit had had put on their hearts about how he can't, you know, do the do whatever he was going to do. <laughs> the Holy Spirit told me to ignore those the Holy Spirit has empowered with the charism of governance to be disobedient to the no. very person. It's like, but like that's where a lot of these groups went wrong. Oh, yeah. Mine included was you didn't have that e, you didn't have reason uh, for once that was like thrown out of the window. And then two, you didn't have anyone that had the ecclesial authority through the Holy Spirit and the, and the authority of the church, like keep things in check, you know? So like uh, my dad, he, like he was probably kicked out of his community like four or five times. <laughs> I'm so happy um, you said that. <laughs> yeah. So, um, okay. I am going to drop a name from school because this is great. Uh, do you know Dr. Breeze? Mm-hmm. So my dad used to live with his family. And the last thing my dad told him was to fuck off. <laughs> and I had on like my first day of school at Steubenville back in oh, 2001. That's awesome. Yeah. So I was like, hey, because um, like when he's like Luke Carey, they like stopped and looked and I was like, huh? And um, stopped and I was like, hey, I'm Greg. I'm uh, Greg Carey's son. I was like, yeah, that's great. I'm like, how, like, how's your dad? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, yeah, please don't hold that against me. <laughs> right. So yeah. And just like, I mean, my dad, he told me stories of how there was this one couple who got pregnant i think they were dating possibly engaged and they they had to like apologize in front of the entire um entire community of about 300 people man like it got super it got super weird they were pressuring people to marry to get Mm -hmm. to, to marry people it was like arranging marriages there was like like stuff about like what you should or shouldn't be doing in your house. I mean, it, it all started very well intentioned as all of these things do, but you know, I mean, it put, it empowered a lot of people in ways that where the, the institution gave them a privileged identity that they then were able to use as a, as a weapon to, to, to get, what they wanted as opposed to like submitting themselves to the will of the community. Right. Yeah. Um, but again, this is like a way that I'm, I feel like I'm super spoiled because the flip side of that, not only having the charismatic up upbringing and seeing the variety of, because of that, the variety of worship that the Catholic church has, mm-hmm. which, yeah. you know, I don't feel like a lot of people, at least in my experience, know. Um, but then also, you know, because of, my family and, and where I was is incredibly rich intellectual um, pursuit of of the faith through reason and and like that having that um, undergird my own questioning and and, and stuff. Would you um, say that your family belongs to the scholarly apparatus? <laughs> <laughs> I would say that my my family employs the scholarly apparatus. Well played, well played. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It doesn't work around it. It just works through it. Okay. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, yeah. So, Go on. So, <laughs> so, so I, I've been super spoiled in that, in that, um, in that sense, uh, that my, my upbringing has been like, exposed me to a lot more than I feel like most people who just grow up in a normal diocesan parish, um, yeah. get exposed to. 
but that but that also like i said was very conflicting for me because it went bad it went really bad it got really ugly people's lives got really ruined in that community um and it left me uh very untrusting of a lot of other stuff you know this i i, I want to throw out a couple comments here and tell me what you guys think um the notion of community is something that i bring up so much that it's ridiculous but constantly trying to find the balance between what is for like a lay person right so the charismatic communities were lay people more often than not you know almost solely lay people and one of the great things about it was it actively engaged people around a way of life and then that way of life got co-opted by sin, selfishness, greed, corruption, <laughs> pride, arrogance, right. manipulation. Mm-hmm. Right. How? And I've been thinking about this because, you know, the the TOR Franciscans, they're third order regulars, and the third order was based on the order of penitence that Francis took and wrote from that rule, mm-hmm. wrote his rule for lay people. And I'm like, that would be cool to have like third order lay people, but. But not as strict as an order. That would suck. <laughs> like I'm trying to think of like a way to craft community life without making a covenant community. Because I don't think. Because I do think there are, there's just inherent dangers because you're giving power over people. First of all, I mean, I think that it's the the power dynamic and and trying to you have to build the power dynamic in to the because you the the problem with these types of communities and at least from my experience is that their their origin is so idealistic and pure yeah all utopian mm-hmm. yeah right that we're gonna be it's, angels it's, we're gonna hold right. each other accountable to be angels that we're bees that, <laughs> that there's no there's there's no mechanism built in for adjudicating uh grievances yeah. for um for sharing power or for even considering the fact that systemic injustice is just baked into human institutions yeah um, so like one of the things that I like just infuriates me, um, amongst, uh, some, uh, other ways that, 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 let's say for instance, like the sex abuse scandal is talked about, um, as like the penultimate, uh, uh, uh exemplar of this, um, Anyone who, anyone who, and, and this happens a lot amongst, uh, like, I guess I'm going to call that our, our crowd, but take that for what it is. Um, Archdiocesan employees, go on. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, so, well, I'm not one. Uh, you don't have anyone with, who is. What are you talking I can about? speak with abandon. Um, but no, so, like, uh, socially conservative, um, you know, traditional uh, Catholics, Orthodox Catholics, right? Yeah. It, it, there seems to be this real tendency to to um, reify the, the 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 trappings of power, right? Because you know you do look up to the priest and you do look up to the episcopate, right? Um, and then you you have a tendency to say like, oh, there's no. What do you mean that that cops, you know, are more harsh to African-Americans than to other groups of people. There's no way there could be something systemic about that. Systemic injustice, that doesn't happen. Mm-hmm. But what happened in, the, in, in the, the, the sexual abuse cases, in every case, in every case in the Catholic Church, and you'll notice in all of the other cases that are coming out, in all of the other institutions in the world, 
The same thing happens in every, in every single case, and not just in America, in every country where there has been a sex abuse scandal, the same thing has happened. They've treated it exactly the same way. So you can't say, but it's this very small percentage of people who are doing it because the, the institution is set up in a way that privileges one identity over another. The, the way that the church is structured is always going to privilege the identity of the priest over the identity of the victim because the priest has a role that is necessary for the institution to continue and the victim does not. Mm. And that happens in every institution. In every institution, we have made decisions to say one identity because they're wielding power gets exceptions made for it. And we cover up for that identity and we try to give them second chances and whatever else. And if you are not one of those privileged identities, you don't get second chances. Most of the time we're going to blame you for what's going wrong. Um, and, and any, any, any Catholic who is, who is thinking about and looking at and ashamed of the way that our structure has, has hurt these individuals. I mean, you have to be able to take that and look at it in the world at large. Like if there's anything that's going to come out of this, it has to be that we learn that if we can do it there before the grace of God, right? Like yeah. everyone, this is a fundamentally human failing. And that is just across the board. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, here in Texas, we just arrested yet another group of teachers, several teachers, different schools, all within the past, uh, I think, month, who were all young women that sexually abused young men, right? So statutory rape of minors, all this stuff. Right. And it happens so often now. Like, you hear it constantly in the news, especially of young women who are in their, in their 20s or really early 30s, who are, you know, doing, and maybe you're, you know, we're hearing about it more, or it's happening more often, you know, whatever. But um, I think, you know, like when we think about privileged classes, we always assume, and we do this with our, our clergy, that the that they're not just in a position of authority, but they're in a position of authority in sensitive areas. You know what I mean? Like, well, maybe maybe you misunderstood the teacher. She wasn't giving you advances. She was this. Maybe you misunderstood the priest. He was inquiring right. about your sinfulness, you know? And I feel right. like we, we're, we're willing to give people in those roles of power that are also characterized as service roles, you know, like a teacher, um, like a Boy Scout leader, like a, you know, like a priest, like a, uh, like even, even a police officer or something, although that's a lot less nowadays. But we're, we're totally privileged, or we're, we're totally tend to give those people a buy much easier than just say, you know, a, a, a guy down the, a neighbor down the street who's like an accountant or something, you know, cause there's already that it's not just the power, but it's also the prestige. Um, and, well, and, yeah, the, and the noble, what I'm trying to say is it's not just the power that they have. It's the nobleness and kind of like the service aspect of it that makes people also say like, no, these people, but they're so good. You know what I mean? Right. Well, but that is, that is the culture that, like, without that cultural set of values and assumptions, the, the institution wouldn't function, right? So those two things go hand in yeah, hand, yeah. right? The, 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 that's the soft power that makes the institution 
run. Otherwise, everyone, if everyone was challenging authority all the time, nothing would work. And the way, the reasons that we don't challenge authority in those, in, in institutional cases is because we assume that the role or that the, the, the structure has put someone in the role for a reason. So when I got the job that I had, which who knows what it is at Walmart, uh, <laughs> greeter, hi, yeah. great greeter. Hello. Yeah. I was, uh, thank you. <laughs> um, I think I was, you know, um, is that I a was, compliment? You're very jolly. You're very jolly, Luke. I'm happy to see he you. He just called you. you fat, Luke. He called you fat. He has zero disregard for your personal sense. Not. Of, uh, jolly. You couldn't have said funny. He couldn't have said a warm disposition. <laughs> He's a smart person. He knows the, the uh, uh, true definition of jolly, even though I don't. Um, I didn't call him Santa Claus. <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he has a great personality. Uh, just put this mask on and uh, let your personality show more than your face. <laughs> your rapist wit. Um, uh, so, okay, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. So I don't know. I um, had a person tell me, you know, this job is very great, but you're going to see the absolute worst of the church. And he included like priest in that. And I was like, what? And, and like, he, even though like there are things about priests that like I know from, you know, um, experience are like, wow, that's really like horrible stuff. But it, it, I, I do think like, I, I, I wonder if we're at a point within, um, West, with, within our culture where we um, cause I, I do think like there has to be some type, like you're right. Like we need to, we need to submit to the right people at the right times. But I, I think we're so become, um, what, what am I trying to say here? I think that we still tend to base certain, uh, certain practices like it's the 1300s and I wouldn't have the opportunity to really to like like know the things that a priest would know because I don't have the time to do what he's had the time to go to do the the things he's been able to learn and understand and I could be totally off with this but like we might have to like redefine like and I don't think it's really a bad thing okay what's the right approach in these cases because i think we're also like we i i also think just from the other side that like we demand way too much out of way too much out of the priest and their roles wait wait yeah, wait I wait, mean, wait. So- you don't think that seven <laughs> years of graduate school masters of divinity <laughs> training equips a young man who discerned the priesthood when he was 18 years old uh, to run the a fifty million dollar company over twenty two thousand people, <laughs> you know, you don't you don't think that? Yeah, huh. I don't. Oh, okay. shocking! Don't. Shocking, right? Yeah. That that going and getting a theology degree would uh, would prep you to talk about theology and not to uh, run a business. Be, uh, yeah. yeah, run a business exactly. Not to not to read a a, a, a balance sheet. <laughs> Now the minus <laughs> mean, yeah, the yeah. minus in front of the numbers means we're good, right? <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how my balance sheet. Whenever I get it, you know, to do the, my budget, they're the, they're in parentheses, and I'm like, why can't you just make it a minus? I understand a minus, and they're like, Michael, we don't do minuses, and I was like, but it makes sense this way. <laughs> Jokes on them. I don't even look at my budget anymore. I just spend, <laughs> spend, spend. How about that? You can put that in your parentheses and smoke it. <laughs> <laughs> what? I just lost my job, huh? 
Yeah, oh, we're screwed. Um, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so, yeah, how do you like? So, when that all went down, you were at you went to um, Miami, right? I did. So, so yeah. So the so the other part of this story is I right. I grew up in Steubenville, um, and uh, was very heavily. I was involved in in the the charismatic community in at that was basically based at Franciscan. Um, growing up and then that folded and, uh, um, was active in youth group and did all the youth conferences and had great experiences at the youth conferences and then had terrible experiences at the youth conferences and, uh, kind of grew up in, so this was my first youth minister. Huh? Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. As a, stu- was he a student, he was, yeah. he was a student. Nice. Okay. He, and, and in, in a, in, in a fashion in that would never, ever be allowed to happen now. Um, like the first event that I went to was we watched, uh, all, we watched the Star Wars, Thank the original you. Star Wars trilogy. I knew Wars you were going to say that. I knew you <laughs> we were watched the say original that. Star Wars trilogy, all three movies in his living room yeah. at his house. <laughs> And ate pizza and drank like copious amounts of Mountain Dew. <laughs> was it? Was it? Uh, oh crap! What is it called? Red, Red Zone Mountain Dew? What is it called? Oh, it was Code, code Red. Code Red. Damn. Code Red. <laughs> it was definitely Code Red. And it, he he had that that uh, that that poster, one of those original Star Wars posters, where Han Solo was always pointing the his blaster at you, no matter where you went in the <laughs> in the room. It was amazing. On one side of the wall is the Jesus eyes that follow you. The other side of the wall, the Han Solo <laughs> right. blaster. <laughs> right. That exactly. that is in a nutshell. And if you don't know, <laughs> now you do. You know him thoroughly. If you can, <laughs> if you can reconcile those two images. <laughs> and I bet you that poster right. he had it like hand painted. It cost him a year's salary. You know, and that's and that's totally worth. It. I asked him one time. I said uh, I went over his house and has this wonderful uh, old house that he bought. And it's just Star Wars and Doctor Who and every nerdy thing from top to bottom. And uh, he said, you know what, Gomer, I'd make a terrible, terrible rich person. And I said, why is that? And he pulled out like a, uh, like a Sky Mall thing. And he's like, there's a $7,000 life-size Han Solo frozen in carbonite sculpture. And I desperately want to own that. And I was like, yeah, you would make a terrible rich person. <laughs> That's amazing. Can you imagine having that just in your bedroom, leaning against the wall by the foot of your bed of Han Solo frozen in carbonite? <laughs> I can actually imagine that, I, and I can imagine it being the artwork for our sh- uh, our show today. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. always working. Uh, so there was a story here, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so I, um, I had. <laughs> Someone's had... got to read this in, <laughs> and it's surprisingly, it's you. I know, right? Surprisingly, you. Um, so, so I grew up in, in Steubenville. I, I, I did not choose to go to Franciscan, um, even though a lot of my friends did. Uh, I would come back and visit people at Franciscan. I, you know, I had a lot of, I was already taking classes at Franciscan in high school or whatever. Um, but I didn't go because I, I like had reached a point where I was like, to, I, to, I had two realizations. One, um, and this is going to get me some hate mail. Uh, I did not want my faith to be a competition. Mm. Um, and two, I knew I had started, I, I was already seeing the cracks in the bubble, so to speak. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed to get out of the bubble and see if I could still float on my own. That makes sense. I, in, I, a, I, in a bubble of your own making. Right. I needed to I needed to create my own universe, which God could then crush oh, as go. opposed to like being in this one where I was never actually going to be challenged. No, I actually get that. I, I kind of mine was the exact opposite coming from. I mean, I went to I was heavily involved in um, in my own youth group, but I um, went to a public school really just crave to be in a place where like that part of, of, um, my life, my like own faith and stuff could be fostered where it could be kind of like everything as opposed to this thing that I was trying to do on my own at, at school. But, you know, really it was only kind of, it was really kind of like limited to just these, these little itty be like things here. So yeah. I yeah. get that. And I, yeah. and I, and I, and I was a sexually repressed homeschooler looking to, <laughs> Uh, attend classes looking, with looking to score. Look at the look at the. You went to the wrong place. <laughs> looking for that that next Mrs. Gormley walking around in a shapeless plaid jumper, <laughs> with those beautiful scapular brown eyes. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And and to, to to touch on kind of the black and white thinking that I started this with, right? Like now as adults, which I I use that term very loosely. Thank um, you. Yeah. Right. Like, isn't it isn't it so refreshing, though, to to be able to look back in hindsight and think like, oh, yeah, of course, everyone has their own story and needs to be able to make their own path as opposed to all of the judgment that I'm sure you guys experienced, I experienced of and that I placed on other people of, well, they're doing this wrong. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, because it, it doesn't it doesn't this isn't that's not how I think about that. So they're clearly doing that wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, when I, so I went to a public, I transferred to a public high school too. Um, uh, so I, I went to Catholic school for uh, grade school, middle school, and then I transferred to uh, a public high school. What, what, and, what public high school? Did you go to big, did you go to big Red? Oh, I did. I went to big Red. Oh, big Red. <laughs> oh man. Oh, uh, big Red. Yes. So, <laughs> so, so I think I, I, went to, I think I was. So are you Kravaniak's age and Kissinger's age? Yes. Okay, so that was your grade level. Yeah. Okay, so we are – okay, that should have been my grade level, but I was homeschooled and I never actually did any schoolwork, so I was way behind. Okay, good deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So so, so, Chris Kravaniak, Brian Kissinger, and I, because all of our families were in the community together, we grew up like riding our bikes to each other's houses and like playing G.I. Joe's and stuff together, um, and, and which has been really interesting uh, to like – grow up and now have known those people basically my entire life. Um, but so I, I transferred to, to big red for a couple of reasons. One, um, the, the educational opportunity there for, you know, people who don't know anything about Steubenville, Steubenville bizarrely has really great public schools. They take a lot of pride in their public schools. And part of that is because of the football, which is a travesty, but, um, yeah. But they just have their their schools always rate really highly, like nationally. Hmm. Um, and so I so I transferred there because the the Catholic schools were not doing so hot at that time. At least that was the that was the way that I convinced my parents. Mm-hmm. The the real reason I transferred there though was that I was bullied mercilessly. Really, in middle school. How come? Uh, because kids are mean. Because <laughs> oh, so well, no, I mean, middle schoolers are all dicks. <laughs> I'm sorry, like. 
I didn't like, I didn't mean like, uh, um, you know, like how come nerd just, uh, like just more, <laughs> well, yeah, that, <laughs> Hey, why don't we open that wound? <laughs> yeah. Well, no. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's fine. We can, so, but I, I did, I trans, I like was like, there's no way I'm going to, to high school with these, with these motherfuckers. Like this is like, I can get out of this now. Yeah. Um, and I did for, to, to a certain extent, um, I've had some terrible things happen at, at big red though, but whatever. I, I do kind of think that like kids at Catholic schools during that time period could be the biggest dicks. Because like I know some guys, I, mean, I need to be careful how I put this, but in my opinion, whose life was pretty much like ruined by the time they were, let's go like 14, just like so beaten into um, just like, just like, just so like, beaten down and had no like idea of like, just like that they were really even a person. Yeah. So I'll give you, I'll give you an example. Um, Chris and I went to this middle school dance. It was like when it was right. It was like right when like mosh pits were becoming a thing. Oh, so awesome. Dates me perfectly. (laughs) Um, and so we're there and, um, the you know like some of the guys who didn't like me for a variety of reasons um ended up like like knocking me down in the mosh pit and then like pushing me up against one of the walls on, on the side and then they bullied this other kid into they held me against the wall and then hit him to make him hit me Ugh. Ugh. and just punching me in the chest over and over and over again Oh, now, I because that was like not that irregular of an occurrence, like that specific dramatic thing, like it didn't happen that way all the time. Mm-hmm. But um, I like I didn't remember that. That that does not stand out to me. The only reason that that stands out to me is because that guy who they bullied into hitting me came to me years later and apologized and like cried and and. And said, you know, I've been carrying this around with me for so long. I'm so sorry that that happened. Wow. And that I wasn't strong enough to say no to like to 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 not do that. And, you know, but that was the kind of thing like I just I didn't even remember that. Until years and years and years later, because there's just so much of that kind of stuff at that same dance. Someone stabbed Chris with a pen knife. Ooh. In the mosh pit. (laughs) Oh, man. And get this. Here's the best part. Catholic schools, ladies and (laughs) gentlemen. So so, um, here's the best part. So when I transferred to Big Red, my mother got a series of very mean phone calls from certain Catholic people <laughs> in Steubenville oh, man. saying that no priests have ever graduated from Steubenville Big Red and that they were, by sending me there, were damning me to um, a path that, that was ungodly. Mm. Mm. That's re- Oh, my gosh. Mm. Reason, people. We need reason. <laughs> well it's just like hey it's Horrible. just it's just like empathy and and yeah, yeah. and and like and like like fuck the sanctimony like why like 
how do you know that you're doing the right thing, right? Isn't the whole point of the Christian experience that we're all sinners? Like, why are we so sanctimonious about this bullshit? Like, the, the whole point of it is there, I, I, I didn't understand this phrase when I was, when I was younger and it actually pissed me off. Cause I thought that it was like, um, I thought that it was like a way of like explaining away or, 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 or not taking seriously enough, like the, the, the horrors that, uh, that can happen in the world and that we can do to each other. But the phrase there, but for the grace of God, go I, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I understand that so much more clearly now as an adult who has made my own mistakes and has looked and been with people as their lives have fallen apart and seen like there's nothing they could have done about this. They were, yes, they made mistakes. Yes, they were weak. And so was everyone else who was involved in the situation. But what I, the path led them here. This is where they are. Mm. This could have been anyone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway, that was a that was a. Well, it, it couldn't have been me because I pray a lot of litanies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, see, my my biggest thing with a lot of um, like we don't know. We get so caught up inside what works for us in order to live our faith, live our life that we predicate that this must be the way for everyone. So, for instance, in my family, uh, we have four kids. The oldest is six. We're, like, sprinting uh, to pop out babies. But when we have uh, – you can have this tendency that, oh, you don't have six kids. Oh, you don't have eight. And I know people who are infertile who have been told, like, shamed for not having more kids. And they're like, I can't have any kids because I'm infertile. Like, you know, right. there's no, there's no sympathy. So we, we are like, the funniest thing has happened to my family, in that my wife, after meeting me, uh, swore that she would never homeschool her kids because mm-hmm. I was homeschooled, uh, for just a little bit. But uh, now we're homeschooling our kids, right? So we have this stay-at-home mom, dad works at the church, wife is homeschooling the kids. <laughs> like we are living really, the really, really fighting against the stereotype. I know, I know. See, that's, but that's the funny thing is we never in a million years thought that we would have this. Like I honestly thought I'd be a priest, but we never thought we would have this. But in my wildest imaginings, I never, I don't, I don't even see how it's possible. But I know that it is because there before the grace of God go I. To call some mother and say, you know, your your boy can't grow up to be a priest now because you're going to send him to public school. And right. he's probably going to become a transgendered uh, rock and roller because now he's in public school. You know what I mean? Like, it's so drastic to take, like, this is what we need to do and then take it to that huge leap of, therefore, everyone needs to do this. Right. Well, so there's a lot of, a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, the... You would think that you would think that being Christian and the, the the specific incarnational nature of our faith would help us to be more broad hearted in our approach to people and their suffering. Um, but it it doesn't. And that is, I mean, and, and, and the, the recognition of that is just another recognition of, of human frailty. Mm-hmm. Um, 
but we have to like, we just have to do a better job of really looking at ourselves and understanding that that's what it is and, 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 and grasping our own limitations, you know, like nothing is more, um, I heard this, this great interview with, uh, Richard Rohr, uh, father, father, Richard Rohr is a Franciscan, um, author. Uh, and he, he was talking about how he worked in, in, uh, prison ministry for, for 14 years. He was the prison chaplain, um, in New Mexico. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, it led him to, to really investigate, um, uh, uh, male rights of initiation, like cross-culturally to try and like see if there were tools that he could use in his, in his prison ministry, because he was dealing with mostly men. Mm -hmm. Um, and he, he, uh, he found that in almost every instance of male initiation rights, that the key was to have the, have young men go on, uh, journeys of experiencing powerlessness and that in experiencing powerlessness, if they did not have an experience of powerlessness as part of their welcoming into the larger group, that they would, that the understanding was that they would then abuse power. Mm. Mm. And the, the way that I think that applies specifically to us in this time and place and specifically as Catholic Christians is we worship a God who was incarnate and then died. We worship a, we worship a God who gave us the ultimate example of powerlessness. And when we go out into the world and seek to hold power over each other through judgment and through coercion, um, you guys talked about scandal in the last episode, nothing is more used to coerce behavior than the threat of the sin of scandal in my, in my experience. Well, it's, yeah. Especially at Steubenville, I would say yeah. more oh, than, yeah. more than judging people. Like, well, I, I feel like we always felt like we were judged. The reality was I did a lot more judging. That's why I was in ANBG. But, uh, the other experience was like, you would hear the word scandal so much. Uh, like we even had a friend who it was like a running line of his, like, uh, scandalous. You know, he would say that all the time. If you did anything outside of a Disney esque version yeah. of Christianity, and that that is the great. I mean, honestly, that's why we have cussing and an explicit tag on our podcast because right. I feel like like I really don't think cussing is a good thing. I don't. Uh, truth be told, I don't think it's a good thing. But I do think it's better than the worst, which is I. I am able to not cuss, but I will destroy you in my thoughts, in my words. Like, just because I don't drop an F-bomb, all of a sudden I'm holier than, than you when I'm gossiping and utterly destroying your reputation. Well, yeah, so, 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 so here, I'm going to actually be a really good uh, anniversary, two-year anniversary guest for you guys. Because I'm going to tie some threads together for you. Because I've listened to every episode. Have you really? I have. Damn. I know. I'm so, like, you are the perfect guest. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah. So, 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 um, the, the, the cussing thing is interesting because here's, here's the, 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 the way that I, I look at it. The truth of it is if, if you are not cussing because 
it is a way for you to be at peace and centered in, in yourself and your faith, and it is an authentic expression of who you are, then don't cuss. If you're holding it back and repressing something that really should get out into the world because it's authentic, then get it out. You need to swear. If you need to swear, swear, because I'd rather you be honest. Mm -hmm. And in being honest with yourself, maybe what you'll learn is that, well, I actually don't need to cuss that much because I can get rid of the rage and the, you know, the, the whatever else, right? Like there's that strand of authenticity, um, that you have to, you have to be able to be honest with yourself. And, and, um, so, so like the, getting, so the other piece of that is when in the, in the Ike, uh, Indolo episode, right. you guys were talking about, uh, uh, Gomer, you, you went on this really nice explication of culture as such, right? right. Which I think is a very underappreciated and under, uh, and misunderstood, um, uh, notion of, of where truth lies in human experience, right? Because most of the things that we call scandal or most of the things that get pointed out as scandal are actually, are not objectively true or false. They're expressions. They fall within the realm of culture. Like there are plenty of places where let's take modesty, for example, where, where something that if you showed up at Franciscan Inn would be horribly immodest is just not understood by that community as immodest. And so it doesn't cause any scandal. Mm -hmm. No one is troubled by it. It's not a thing, right? Because it's a cultural expression. It's what you're used to. It's what you as the community understand that act to be. I would say like together. Yeah. The classic example of this is, uh, St. Pope John Paul was at an event in Africa and there were all these women who were topless dancing in front of him. Exactly. And they were all doing their very traditional dance and they're dancing topless. And you had all of these European, you know, like prelates and bishops and stuff. And they're there and with and an African bishop. And then there's JP2. And JP2 understood this to his core. I mean, if you meet a man who understands culture more than JP2, I, you're, I, don't, I don't know who it could be. But, I mean, he, he's so, I mean, he was a cultural revolutionary against the Nazis because it was illegal to perform Polish national plays, and he did it in, you know, like he understood the importance of, of a person's culture. And here he is watching, as the Pope, topless women, whereas in European society, breasts have almost always been a sexual thing, at, at least for the last 500 years. They've been highly sexualized, whereas... You know, in these African cultures, it's still tied to maternity. It's not sexualized. You know, breasts are there for a purpose, to feed children, you know. Right. And to dance with. (laughs) And obviously. (laughs) In a non-erotic manner. So you have that. And so I I had a woman at a Theology of the Body thing I was doing. Um, She was uh, 18. She was a senior. She was graduating. She came up to me and she said, I need you to understand. I need you to explain to me why the church won't free the nipple. And I was like, wow, what? And she was talking about, you know, that every year they do this annual free the nipple campaign where men's breasts aren't sexualized. Women's breasts shouldn't be either. Right. And, you know, and, and I, I told her, I said, you know, 500 years ago when the Western settlers landed in, in, in uh, Florida, the church that is celebrated as, you know, the first mass happened, I, I believe, in St. Augustine, Florida, was Our Lady of La Leche, and it's the breastfeeding Madonna. And now it's gone to such a 
uh, a thing that we've we've so hypersexualized boobs that for a woman to be topless in our culture, it, it is always a sexual thing. That's why at the annual Free the Nipple Day in London, there were thousands of male reporters. You know, like, and they're all there with their cameras, and they're like, "See, you know," in the comments on like YouTube videos, they're like, "See, you've given in." to the men and and you know you're doing what the men want and the women are like yeah but it doesn't matter and that's not the point and blah 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 so i told this woman like this is the church's thing like modesty is culturally conditioned but chastity is not chastity is like if if we are offended if we're sexually aroused at you know whatever we need to safeguard through our own modesty approaching that stuff so that we don't get uh, fall into lust and stuff lust is always a sin but there are cultures where walking around women walking around topless does not lead to lust it leads to thoughts of maternity you know and so that's one of the things that i would yeah and 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 the other part of that is it speaks to this whole other like cultural understanding of the the eurocentrism of um that sweet sweet eurocentrism in like of of the American church in particular, yeah. mm-hmm. um, did you guys hear that awesome thunder that just happened? That's thunder. Um, oh yeah, that was thunder. I, nice. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> so like, there is there is this we we assume in the way that we are taught from the Greeks and 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 all through Western tradition that this objective truth that we seek is present in all things everywhere, right? And that's like the, 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 the way that we, that we try to, to, that's what we quote unquote seek for. And it, 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 it's an arrogance in us in which we assume that our perspective of what is happening is not bound and limited by ourselves historically and, and, and physically and culturally and all these other things. Right. So like you have this notion of, well, these African cultures are backwards because they're all naked. Right. Right. Like that's that's an assumption that I'm pretty sure you would like where that that scandal comes from or that even notion of a scandal is that, oh, but my culture is the right one. Right. Do culture as such. Correct. Uh, Do you think that um, this is open to to anyone that coming from like (laughs) uh, 22nd rule, Gomer, um, like. Coming no, from, push it to 45. <laughs> yeah. Push it to 45. Uh, the, like, group that, like, kind of, like, and I, I really do hate to put it this way at times because um, I've been labeled as this in, in like, a, a bad way, and it just, like, drives me nuts. But within, like, the Catholic group that kind of were in through either by birth or just through who we hang out with and blah, blah, blah. So that kind of, like, Steuben Village group heard whatever there's that we don't quite fully understand what our own free will actually in what that entails like what are the consequences of that both good and bad what do you mean like so um luke you are so abstract are you high right now bro are you high (laughs) you're totally high right now bro um what if god was a woman (laughs) what if she what if she was just a stranger on a bus um (laughs) I heard that song for like the first time like 20 years of the day. Okay, uh, so like do we sometimes put too much – do we – this is going to sound crazy. Do we give God sometimes too much credit for our own actions or for certain things that are just 
um, yes, free will. You mean yes. just you mean the like nature of you mean like when I broke up with my girlfriend at Franciscan and said, no, it's no. not you, it's not me, it's God. That is no. a, that is a great example because I've done like I've been on both ends of that and I've seen it a million times. <laughs> I, you know? sh- I shared I, that with my RCIA class and literally I think this woman in my class doesn't like me anymore and I'm like, what? It was God's fault. I, uh. <laughs> yeah. So here's the here's the most pernicious. I think the most pernicious version of that, the most pernicious version of that is when um, someone has something absolutely horrible happen to them and you say, well, everything happens for a reason. Exactly. Exactly. And that is complete and utter bullshit. Sure. Everything does happen for a reason, but the assumption of the person who's telling you that is that it happened for God's reason. And that is a perversion of everything we understand about God. Because, number one, the assumption is that, oh, well, this happened so that something good can come from this bad thing. You needed this bad thing to happen Mm -hmm. so that you can then reach some other realization about yourself or the world or whatever. And you know what? Sometimes good things do come out of bad things. And there is beauty in chaos and suffering. There is a great redemptive uh, a redemptive nature. To, there's a great redemptive opportunity in suffering, but a lot of times suffering just breaks people and it's not their fault that they don't make something beautiful out of it. And it makes it way harder and way worse when people around them are saying, well, come on, Phoenix rise from the fucking ashes. Mm-hmm. This is, didn't you, I mean, clearly this, you, this happened for a reason, it's, right? It's, it's literally as if the book of Job was never written. You know, like the book of Job is off maligned for being like, oh, Satan has a deal with God. And you're like, just if you look at the book of Job as an ancient morality play, because it never says that Job was an Israelite or a Jew. And it just says that he was a righteous man. It doesn't say is that he belonged to it, it, it's It's a play illustrating the most complicated thing that happens, which is the suffering of the righteous and the justice of God, right? So the whole thing lays itself out with an impossible situation, right? Here's this character who's super rich and he has cattle and he has kids and he has a wonderful wife and he's so righteous. And then Satan says, let me take it all from him. And then he even takes his health. And, you know, it's like one thing after, when I was a little kid, I almost didn't want to believe in the Bible because I read that story. And I, I didn't understand it at all, and I didn't read it past chapter, you know, two, uh, past his wife telling him to curse God and die. Um, but you just read this like, and I'm, and, and when I'm reading it, I'm thinking God is killing this guy's family just to prove a point. And then you understand it as essentially a morality play, and then you're like, oh my goodness, this is brilliant because you have person upon person coming to mourn with him. And then after they've done a sufficient amount of mourning to accuse him of being evil. And it's it's essentially that today we have the nice version of Job and his friends uh, or Job's friends who say, you know, like, clearly it's your fault. Now, today, the nice version is, well, everything happens for a reason. Right. And then you, you, you go through this stuff. And the funniest thing is it's actually the youngest guy who's the fourth dude that shows up. That's actually the most adamant that Job deserves this, you know. And I think, like, one of the reasons why he's the most arrogant is because he's the youngest. And he doesn't understand what life is really about. And he doesn't understand that sometimes suffering just 
happens to us. And there is no causal explanation other than, you know, different lines of the universe intersecting. But God can be present to us in the midst of the, of the chaos. Rather, they, right. want, they want a simple answer like Job's interlocutors. They just want a simple, little, neat bow. And in the end, the story ends with God being like, hey, Job, did you make, like, these horrible monsters? Were you there when I built the universe? Good. Then shut up. Oh, also, pray for your friends because I'm going to kill them if you don't because they lied about me. <laughs> they don't know me. They lied about me. And if you don't pray for them, I'm going to kill them. And you're like, wow. Wait, okay. <laughs> okay, so everyone is wrong. Everyone is wrong. Let us just bow to the mystery of suffering, but but it doesn't. With Job, it ends with that. It ends with God giving him blessing, all this stuff. But with Christ, it ends with God putting Himself in Job's place, as it were. Right, right. Christ suffers. Right. This is the incarnational spirituality. So instead of accusing people or even saying what sounds nice, oh, all things happen for a reason. Just suffer with them. That's right. the Christian approach to this. Right. Right. Yeah. And I. It's it's I I think when like when I take a step back and I really try to comprehend all of this I I just kind of go back to this idea that we I I really honestly do think that we need to give ourselves permission to experience things so by but by that I mean like we've had people email us and say, you gave me – like I felt because of this podcast episode I heard, like I really like for the first time like told God how like I really felt or like I cried out and um, I cursed. And I, I feel like we have these weird almost like archaic rules we're trying to adhere to that just don't fit. You know, that we can't be angry at God, that we can't just be like, oh, my gosh, this is like this is truly way more than I can handle. What can I do? You know, and I and I think um, and kind of the other side is that it's like we also presume way too much, which is why like people go to Steubenville and they'll go into a whole bunch of debt and want to be a youth minister at a church and think God's just going to take care of it. Take care of them. Which Provident, is, providentialism is a horrible, horrible thing. Oh my gosh! Yeah, horrible. I mean, like, and I again, like, I, I it's did that. Like naivete. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like grotesque naivete. It, it, especially, well, in particular, in the context of people who do not pray for the things they need, they just expect God to deliver it to them because, quote. I'm doing good things, you know, or, or, or or spend your whole time praying to get those things. Like, I think that's just as bad. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, I would, instead of working, I I would say, so I would say, I I, I understand. Paul is a wonderful example because every dollar he got, he got because he made tents while preaching the gospel. You go off, sell tents and the, that was his trade and he supported his own ministry by doing that. But I think there are plenty of counter examples in church history of, people who live entirely on divine providence, but they live on divine providence. They don't have a foolish, prideful, or carnal indulgence. Like, they're called to do that. There's a huge difference between a person who is, like, called to and the 19-year-old kid who just wants to be, like, his favorite Catholic celebrity of the month. Right, that's what I'm saying. There's a carnal version of it, which is more of a self-centered entitlement, and I think there's a a better version of that, which is a real version, which is birds of the air. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, 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 yeah. But it also includes like it. It also includes 
I think historically a poverty and yeah yeah you can't you can't that, live high that, on the like, hog <laughs> that well that yeah that no one no one in the group that we're maligning right now would be willing to undertake right um so so to 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 stop with the the, the bitching a little bit um, <laughs> no, it's fine. This well so, so this is our two-year episode twice as much <laughs> bitching. <laughs> you you touched on a couple of things there that are like among my favorite reasons why i am still catholic right is that the in 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 a two thousand year tradition plus the six eight thousand whatever Jewish tradition that preceded it that we get to inherit there are there is not one path, and there are innumerable examples of saints and sinners and uh communities and whatever that you can go and find within the tradition to figure out where your like what your tribe is right and figure out what are the things that are going to work for you to continue to approach um the divine um and then also like nothing um gomer when when you were talking about uh standing in in the communion line and 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 feeling like you were in finally in the communion of saints right yeah. at at um Katie's funeral that that image is probably the the thing that has kept me coming back to the church uh, against all of the other stuff and all of the struggles that I've had um, with doubt and 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 things that have happened in my life and 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 questions and 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 whatever else. Standing in line and knowing that you are in line with two thousand years of humans who are all trying to get to the same place that you're trying to get to is incredibly humbling. Absolutely. And gives you a, something that you can really hold on to in a physical way, right? And this is the other thing that I, that I, I find that has kept me Catholic, right? Uh, for, for a lot of my, my Protestant friends and, 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 and non-believers, the, the, the physicality of Catholicism is a real barrier to faith. Yeah. Um, and for me, it's the exact opposite me too. because Absolutely. my experience of life is so physically grounded that I don't think that I, an abstraction that is not physical, like being able to go and sit in adoration and be in the physical presence is crucial to my to me being able to sustain any kind of action, motivation, hope, faith in this physical embodied life. And and because we you know as humans I don't think you can really experience love except for physically. You can't you don't experience you don't experience friendship until like someone really gives you a good hug. You can, you, you, because all of our emotions are, are embodied. Like everything about us is embodied. Every time we, 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 we struggle with something mentally, we struggle with it emotionally. It finds its way into our body because we, like we're in, we're in here. This is what we're doing. And 
to be able to have a faith in which that physicality, I can encounter my faith in that physical form, um, is something that has, I, I've not, I've not found any, anywhere else. Yeah. When I was in, um, doing that prison ministry, uh, we knew that we were talking with people who were staunchly anti-Catholic, that they came on our retreat. Many of them came just to see what Catholics had to say, but some of them came because they just wanted to fight. And actually, after the first day, many of those people left. But mm-hmm. there was a handful of them that were like, I am an utterly convinced Protestant. I want to argue with you, but I'll do it in a respectful manner because I'm liking what you're saying, but, you know, all this stuff. And I said, and when they asked me to actually give a talk, because other than that, I was just a, a table facilitator. Um, I had been praying about this one line for weeks, and I had never used it in a talk before. I'd never used it in anything. And it was, the gate to heaven is the humanity of Christ. And I think for so much, so many of those men, the sacramentality was a reason to hate the church, like you were saying about your, your non-Catholic friends, like the physicalness of it. Mm-hmm. But once you, to me, I feel like once you understand the incarnation, that God had to condescend to our level in order for us to be lifted up out of, you know, the sin of Adam and death and, and all of this stuff, in order for him to renew us, he had to become human. And then once he ascended to heaven, he didn't abandon that project. He gave us a church and he gave the church the sacraments. Like, mm-hmm. and, and so one guy said, what, what are you talking about? This sounds like works. And I'm like, I, 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 I've never once viewed the sacraments as, like, the works of man. I've always viewed them as the—I mean, because, honestly, when you look at the sacraments, you dunk a guy in water. Like, mm-hmm. what's the works <laughs> that we're doing? Like, it's nothing. It's all what God is up to. And when you confirm someone, literally they say amen during the laying on of hands, and then they say amen during the being sealed with the Holy Spirit, and then they say, and with your spirit. And they're confirmed, sealed with the sevenfold gift of the Spirit. And you're like, they do nothing. There's no work here. It's, it's this beautiful grace. And this guy said to me, why would you even have this? Like, why are you Catholics obsessed with this? And I said, for the same reason why Moses needed buddies to hold up his arms. And he's like, what are you talking about? You know yeah. the story where he's most praying over people and the battle's going this way. And every time he lowers his, hand, his arms, the battle, the Israelites lose the battle. I say, think about, if you think of it as nothing but legalism, then how much more could God be legalistic than eventually the guys just prop rocks up under his arms to keep <laughs> it up? And I said, why does that matter? Why does, why does the length of a man's hair dictate his strength? You know, like Samson's story. Like, over and over. Why does he have to use the rod to strike the Nile or, or the Red Sea? Or Why can't God just do it? Because God works with us, and we need that. We need the hug. We need the laying on of hands. We need the right. water washing over us. And I'll tell you the coolest thing. The guy came up to me, and he was like, for the first time in my life, this makes sense of Christianity. And he was a, yeah. a staunch and angry uh, even, I guess you call him an evangelical. I don't even know. Maybe a fundamentalist, but he's staunch and angry. And he was like, no, for the first time I'm reading scripture and I'm like, oh, Jesus spits on the ground and makes mud and shoves it in a guy's eye. Why yeah. didn't he just wave his hand over him? Why do you make him go wash in water? And you're like, you, you end up, once you have those eyes to see, you see it everywhere. Why didn't he just, why didn't he just have him not born bl- blind in the first place? <laughs> he is the creator God. Right. <laughs> Right. No, we need it. Exactly. I think that's my, uh, my, one of my friends, um, was confirmed this Easter. Um, and it was, 
uh, uh, I, I wasn't there. She's, she's, um, on the East coast, like far away from me, but, um, she, uh, has had a, a also like a really interestingly troubled, uh, relationship with, with the church. Um, and, uh, and she was so giddy at being <laughs> confirmed. And like, I remember when she told me that she was considering going into RCIA or that she had like gone to her first like meeting, like, and, and, and she like called me and talked about it. And she was just like this, there's just no way I can do this. This is just, I can't, this is just infuriating to me. And I was like, well, just, you know, you're, you're smart. You're a smart woman. Ask, ask questions, like get it out. Like you're there, take advantage of the time, you know, do, do what you got to do. And, and like drips and drabs over the course of the eight months or whatever it was, um, she would, uh, the questions like started to slowly change. And then finally, like there was radio silence for a little while. And then, <laughs> and then, uh, on like, I think maybe on Holy Thursday, she, she texted me and she was like, I'm, uh, I'm getting confirmed. And, she, and then she, and then I talked to her afterwards and she was so just elated. And again, nothing had, I mean, lots of things had happened physically the ritual of it is so minimal, yeah. but the ritual is the embodiment of faith and we need it. We as humans need it. Yeah. Well, we're at like about an hour and a half into this. We can definitely keep going, but if anyone's got to go to bed, I totally understand. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm fine to keep going. It's up to you guys. Um, the, I am after we get off this call, I'm going to grab like two hours of sleep. And then Riley, my dog and I are jumping in a car to go on a five day, 60 mile hike because I need to have my Lieutenant Dan moment, um, <laughs> in the woods, uh, which happens once a year. Um, nice. but yeah, I'm, 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 I'm fine to keep going. Um, the speaking of, well, so how was, how was Holy week for everybody? You know, um, I used to really not like the, um, uh, Easter vigil cause it was just long and I thought just very pompous for lack of a better term that is coming to mind for the past couple of years. I really started to enjoy it and it was actually pretty fantastic. It's great when you see like a liturgy respected and just done well and it just doesn't feel like it's, you know. Uh, aren't we special? I don't know. Yeah. You, know you know what I mean? Just and w- with like still stuck in like the 1960s of like, w- like, w- you know, like trying to when people try to flaunt like, like I can do this now. I, I, I don't know if that makes sense or not, but yeah, no, it was really good. It was like really just, it was great to be with family. I uh, heated up a ham. I made homemade mash, mashed potatoes. It was great. <laughs> good. Nice. I, uh, great. I, I run the RCIA at my church, so we brought in 16 people, uh, got baptized on Easter, um, Easter Vigil. Easter Vigil has become one of my favorite things of all time. I never have time to go to the Good Friday, um, like Veneration of Cross. I can't make the, the Holy Thursday washing of the feet and all that stuff. Um, I'm, I'm, never, I'm never able to do that now that I have kids, and I don't have to go to that with RCIA. 
But um, I have to be, obviously, at the Easter Vigil. And one of the coolest things was to see people that I have been walking with for the past almost a year, about nine months, um, ready to receive baptism. In fact, this one guy, born in Hong Kong, lived all over the world, traveled the whole world, um, been in the military. He's a, a professional photographer, and he just does the coolest stuff. And me and him have become friends. When he knelt down, so we have a baptismal pool uh, that only goes up to like an adult. Well, you kneel down, goes up like halfway up your thigh. He knelt down, and Father said, uh, "Do you, you know, what do you desire? What are you asking of Christ Church?" And he yelled out, "I desire <laughs> to be baptized, Father!" And the whole place just erupted in laughter, you know. And then mm-hmm. he says, "Well, then I do baptize you in the name of the, you know." And it was just mm-hmm. a, this perfect moment, and. Um, my, I know people that are um, that that sing the psalms when everything is dark, and I just let. And I was alone. My family, obviously, I got little kids. They're not going to come to this mass. It would be a disaster. Um, mm-hmm. But I was able to just experience it as a guy who's leading RCIA. I'm a proxy sponsor, godparent for this kid, and I got to experience that. But just the whole unfolding of the liturgy. Um, it's really well done at my church. And so I love that. That's cool. Yeah. So now I, uh, I, I had a really interesting ex- experience where like all, all of the readings and the Gloria for like really the first time for me all felt like they were telling one big story, which they like obviously are. But for some reason, I just, I really got that yeah. this time. And that was pretty profound to be honest with you. So the, the, um, the veneration of the cross is my favorite service of the year Uh, every year. And, um, this year, uh, I went to that and the, the Bishop presided, um, cause I'm at the, I'm a parishioner at the, at the cathedral here. Um, and it was like an epic three hour. Oh, wow. It was an, an epic three-hour tour, um, <laughs> a three-hour tour. Uh, but then, right afterwards, a, a, a friend of mine um, who is the music pastor at a non-denominational small uh, Christian church um, had written a an original performance piece thing um, that was the Passion, and then it was just it was it was the four, like the, these actors being the four, um, evangelists, the four, um, gospel writers telling the, the, the passion story. And then there was this musical piece, um, that was Mary and John in the tomb, laying Jesus in the tomb. Oh, wow. Hmm. And he had written it all original music and, and his wife was Mary and I was John and it was so intensely powerful. I every time the that that he, we got to the end, like luckily at the end of it, I was just like kneeling, uh, essentially, because every time we got to the end, I was just bawling. Yeah. Wow! Like Holy Week for me is just tears from start <laughs> to finish. So then, so then Easter Sunday, I went with my sister to the to the cathedral for mass, and they do. They like have the big the big choir and the big organ and they bring in like a brass the, this brass section to do all of the 
crazy, you know, Beethoven and stuff. And they always do the hallelujah chorus and they do every year, they do the hallelujah chorus right after communion. And it just, it, it I get weepy every time. Awesome. Like That's it's just cool. without fail. When we, That's really cool. when, uh, during the liturgy, they sang hallelujah for the first time, you know, since Lent mm-hmm. had started, I, mm-hmm. I literally started crying for joy that I got to say hallelujah. Like that, like my spiritual life, I would say this Lent has been the greatest Lent of my entire life. I've grown more as a husband, father, human, church worker, <laughs> pod- podcaster. I was just saying podcaster. <laughs> I literally said podcaster. <laughs> podcaster, you know, the whole deal. And for those of you who aren't $10 pledgers on our Patreon page, <laughs> doing the Soul of the Apostolate, force this podcast, forcing us to do the Soul of the Apostolate has wrecked me and rebuilt me. And I see so clearly now the stupidity of doing ministry without having a strong interior life. Like I, I pride myself on being an evangelist, but there is nothing more evangelizing than fasting and praying for the people that you love, that you want to see come to Christ and, and you want to take away their pains. And, but when you start praying with the heart of Christ, you, you want their pains to be in, like you want to take them. You know, it's one thing to self-righteously stand off and be like, oh, Lord, I wish you'd take away their pain. It's another thing to want to, like, absorb it into yourself. And praying for people is the only way you can ever get that heart for it. You know what I mean? And and yeah. and it, it has totally changed. It has totally changed everything. And I felt like being at the Easter Vigil and being in the darkness and hearing salvation history read and sung and prayed. And then all of a sudden the lights come on and we're singing the Alleluia. I was like, oh, Alleluia, He is risen! <laughs> like this is real. This is real stuff that we're that we're remembering and commemorating and and experiencing today. I loved it. So. Yeah. Uh, I want to take a really hard right turn. Just we don't we don't have to talk about this too long. I'm going to take an alt right turn. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to get awkward here. Let's take folks. a far left turn instead. <laughs> <laughs> Universal income. Um, yes. Please. So oh, okay, I just want to know really quick. So you were in a band called. Oh God! Cry fire, which <laughs> I okay. If you everyone stop the podcast, go on to Spotify, go and listen to uh, it's it is cry fire, right? Make sure yeah. that okay. Uh-huh. I think I fucking loved your band like so much. <laughs> Thank like, you. I remember when. Um, we were in college and we were at Crossbury Tavern and you told me that you had just like joined this band and you were like, and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like, you know, I, I just think like everyone who's like a peer at that age when they're in a band, the band kind of sucks. And so I was always like, no, but that's like great. You know? And then I remember like when I heard you like demo, I was like, Holy shit. <laughs> like, I mean, like, I mean like, and your website, cryfiremusic.com. Is that it? Yeah, it is the most perfect website of all time. <laughs> it hasn't been updated in uh, ten years. I'm, probably, I'm so. pretty sure it was made on an etch a sketch. This is beautiful. <laughs> I, like I really hate to embarrass you because I know how awkward these things are. But I just want people to know that I am like so bummed that there hasn't been any. Like I mean, well, that, I mean, we recorded three three albums worth of music. So it, oh oh, go listen to it. That's fine. <laughs> <laughs> like. 
gosh, which song? I think it's song like, uh, is it like 4 a.m. or yeah, 4 like, a.m. That like literally like was the soundtrack to a, like a horrible breakup that happened. Oh, good. <laughs> That's what it was for me too. <laughs> and I was like, like, because I was like, how do I tell a friend, hey, um, I'm kind of obsessed with your band. <laughs> <laughs> so when Ikendolo was on, um, and he was saying, I'm 30 blank and, and single, so that means I have a lot of, of heartache. Now all of the <laughs> listeners have the, the key to my, uh, my heartache book. That's basically three, three albums worth of music of me crying I'm about some girl. I'm so glad that it exists. Like, I mean, it, I probably hear it. I will probably listen to it at least once a month. That's a, wow, that's I'm, awesome. I, I'm not even <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure if you ever get like a Spotify check for like eight cents, <laughs> cut me like two cents of that. Sure. Hey, hey, yeah, I'll buy you a beer. Hey, do I have to join your mailing list in order to download the album for free? <laughs> you do not. You do not. <laughs> How do I Just download? go to Spotify and stream it? Oh, I don't have Spotify. No, you can stream it right on the on the page. Okay. Oh, that's yeah, what I see go. from CD Baby. You can stream yes, it right on the page. Yes. From CD Baby, which, that's, that's great. Which, uh, which which album should I dive into first? Strangers, the first album uh, from Cryfire. Sure, try that one. Here we go. Oh no, no. Uh, sorry, let me. Sorry, I was. Uh, I talked to Aaron really quick. Yeah, sure. As 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 Gomer oh. listens for the, for the very first time, I I, pa- I, I paused it. It, okay, good. It, doesn't, it doesn't make for good podcasting when no. one guy's just listening to music the whole time. I don't. I was like, how can I just tell him that I'm like kind of upset with it? Like, well, about an hour and a half in, seems <laughs> like your song "Black Swan." I have literally uh, just had that on repeat. That's a good one. Like multiple, like written for the motion picture by the same name. <laughs> starting I Natalie wish. Portman. <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny if she's being interviewed on like Jay Leno or whenever that movie came out? And it's like, actually, uh, there's this wonderful Pittsburgh band called Cry Fire, and that's where we got the name <laughs> Black sure Swan. The <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, I actually uh, have to go to bed because I- I'm being loud and it's late. Um, but this has been really good, man. This has been really fun. We didn't even hit on all the things I wanted to. Technology. What, what technology about. stuff do you do? Well, so I'm the I'm the VP of product management at us for a software company. So the whole impetus of us actually me of Luke asking me to be on this was I sent him this this podcast about a uh, uh, Kevin Kelly who's the one of the founders of Wired magazine right. has this book called Inevitable in which he talks about he only talks about it really briefly, but his the the kind of the biggest thing that I took away from it was he talks about this. Um, transition in this, this media transition that's happening in the way that we consume, um, the, uh, media and, and how that's affecting the way that we think and interact with the rest of life and, and the world. And, and he's kind of borrows Marshall McLuhan's kind of the medium is the message, yeah. uh, framework to think through that. Um, but so his, his, his main point is that, uh, we're becoming, we, we're making a transition now from being people of the book um, to people of the stream mm. or the feed, right? Yeah. Where the before the the the, the primary um, like critical apparatus that you needed was like this really interior, reflective, um, well thought out, right? Yeah. Right, like you, people 
you, you to, to, to prove that you had like done anything or contributed, you had to make this authoritative fixed in print, yeah. never to be changed monolith, right. That yeah. represented right, your thing. And, and moving forward, the, 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 the real, um, the, the primary way that, that the primary skill you're going to need is actually a critical filter of being able to, cause like you're just always taking in information and the information is always there and it's always going to be new. Yeah. Uh, so you're not, you're not returning to the same books over and over again. And I, so I kind of, I, I, I was interviewed by the national council of churches for, um, this survey that they were doing on, on Bibles and religion and millennials and shit. And, uh, on cry fire, go on. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, uh, and, and they, and one of the things we kind of talked about was, um, the, it seems to me like the, the impetus to go back and reread things yeah. is not there. Right. And so these, these older authoritative novels, works of art, that have like these really intricate layers that require multiple, uh, encounters, um, are less and less accessible to people who are used to there always being something new and their, their motivation in getting through stuff is to filter out the bullshit so they can get to something good, but then they just Mm -hmm. add that to their store and move on to the next thing. And I think that, 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 um, is a real challenge specifically for biblical traditions um, that do require this contemplative, this development of an interior life, right? Where it's so much easier to just keep refreshing the feed and see what the next thing that's going to come is, um, as opposed to really sitting with something and allowing it to challenge you and to bash your preconceptions against it until they're, you know, they're not there anymore, or or at least you're able to take on this kind of real traumatic change that is required to progress or to, to, to grow as a, as a human being. And and I think that's going to get a lot harder. Um, so that was that was the invitation. Sorry, Luke. I just we we kept you. Uh, I think you, oh, no. I think you just killed minutes. Luke. He fell over. And... <laughs> you just fell. <laughs> <laughs> hey, can I just tell you that the was... best thing in the world happened? And I was listening. Don't get me wrong when I tell you this story. I was listening mm-hmm. to every word you were saying. However, Cry Fire has a MySpace page that's still up, <laughs> and I was at it, and it told me that I needed to load Adobe Flash before I view the page. But <laughs> but I'm on the Cry Fire page, and your picture is with our friend Chris Kravaniak. So it's just perfect. And you still have 178 followers. But I do want to point out, this whole thing with the feed versus the book is the one, Anima Technica Vacua drink. Exactly. And that Zygmunt Belmont quote. Right. It's also why you shouldn't listen to podcasts at two times speed. That's a lie. The reason why you listen to it at double speed is so you can read it twice in the same amount of time it takes normal humans, what I call no, the massa so damnata. To, it's, uh, <laughs> it's because you have too many podcasts that you're subscribed to and you have to check them off your list. Let me, you have to, let me you tell have to you. silence the alerts on your, on your app. <laughs> let, me tell you, let me tell you how false that is because, <laughs> because I go on walks. I went on a walk today. I put in my earbuds. I turn the volume as high as it can go, and I listen to an audiobook at triple speed. 
I have to have it as loud as it can go so there's no distractions other than a book read at triple speed. And I feel like when I'm there, I hear the voice of God. <laughs> Just stress, yeah. Luke, Luke saying, literally slow down, be more human. Luke literally, I, he came into my car and I put on a uh, an audiobook and it was at one point five speed. And Luke just goes, "No, no, no, I can't do this. Stop this." And then I put it at one speed, and I just got nervous. I'm like, "I can't." I, the guy sounds drunk. He sounds. Hey, we're gonna talk about the happy city. I can't deal with it. Do I sound drunk right now? <laughs> no, but if I listen to it after hours of editing, I'm going to be like, well, maybe if I boost him 30%. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I really do, I really do have, to, have to go, but this has been great, man. Likewise. Thank hey, you very much. Happy, happy two years. Um, Thank you. Congratulations. I think what the, 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 <laughs> one, the, one, uh, the one compliment I wanted to make sure I gave you guys is that I think one of the things you guys are doing really well is um, – getting diverse voices from across kind of the Catholic experience uh, that maybe a lot of people in our bubbles or other bubbles aren't, uh, wouldn't hear or come across on a regular basis. Um, and I think that's, in, that's incredibly valuable. Good. Well, thanks, man. Thank you. I appreciate that. That's kind of the point. Yeah. So, and, anyway, so. and while we're on this note, I want to thank Allison Vesco, Nathan T- Towell, Tim Blackston, Paul Naranya, oh crap, Matt Feist, Emily Huggins, Franco Zarama, Jenny Cunningham, who sang the Alleluia at my church, Mark Asmussen, who also goes to my church, Kevin Smith, David Parker, Stephanie Juarez, and Pablo Sanchez, all of whom donated $5 or more on our Patreon page, which is going strong. I told you I would announce you, and we did it. We did it, Luke. We did we it. We did it. Oh, man. Cool. Hey, hey, thank you I so much. I definitely want to have you on the podcast again at some point in time. Sure. Maybe in yeah. the next two years. At some sure. point in time. This is great. Every two great. years, awesome. you'll be our guest. <laughs> <laughs> so schedule we'll that now. <laughs> biannual checkup with Nathaniel. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> all right. Thank you all so much for listening. You can find Luke at the Luke D. You can find me at lay evangelist and you can't find nathaniel except on myspace.com slash the band everyone knows who i am now (laughs) (laughs) all right yeah oh damn i should edit that huh oh no that's totally fine i I, I really it's been if they made it if they made it this far and they're still listening to me then (laughs) well i'll edit it down and speed it up so they can't help but listen to you because it's only four (laughs) minutes long Let's just be honest. It's pretty much Kravaniak at this point in time. (laughs) It's all Kravaniaks from top to bottom now. Hello. This is the sound of a lovely guitar playing to make you feel all warm and fuzzy. So that when I eventually say, you should just friggin' hurry up and donate to Luke and Goma. What's taking you so long? Just go to patreon.com forward slash cf. You'll want to do it. Do you see how that works? So go on, do yourself a favour and donate today. That's patreon.com forward slash cf.